Today we talk to Rob Flax, a multi-instrumentalist, composer, and educator from the Midwest that now calls Boston, more specifically Jamaica Plain, his home. We explore the extraordinarily curious mind of this New England conservatory graduate while sipping on Hetty Topper, a double IPA by the legendary Alchemist Brewery in Stowe, Vermont. This episode features a freestyle percussive jam on a beer can, insight on what role a live musician can play within dance performances, and a deeper understanding of the acronym Rob calls Kojiad. Thank you for your support, and welcome to Through the Draft Line. Hi, JD. Hey, buddy. What's going on? How you doing? I'm well. <laughs> we are sitting here with the lovely, talented, fantastic Rob Flax. <laughs> this man, uh, in his own words, I play things with strings, I hit stuff, and I sing. And originally from Evanston, Illinois. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. I'm a Chicago suburb kid myself. So. Town pride. Yeah. <laughs> So I, I think we should start with, with the brew. So Rob, when I contacted Rob, he said, I have three focal bangers in the fridge. And I said, bang me up. Um, <laughs> obviously, you like some IPAs. I do. What, yeah. what do you like about IPAs? What's the story there? Uh, I mean, I'll say this. I like a lot of different kinds of beer. Okay. I wouldn't pigeonhole myself as an IPA guy. My beer tastes are similar to my musical tastes. Uh, I like everything, if it's, as long as it's good. You know, Duke Ellington said there are two kinds of music. There's good music and the other kind. And I think that's true of beer, too. There's good beer and the other kind. Okay. I'm, I'm pretty open-minded. This happens to be a favorite whenever I manage to get up to get it. Um, I've been playing a lot in Vermont over the last year or two, uh, playing in a band called Billy Wilder, among other things. And uh, that's usually the reason I end up in Vermont is a Billy Wilder show been up there a couple other times just doing solo runs but you know that means taking the mega bus up to burlington so does it's, it requires a little preparation either way yeah and, and for those that that are not familiar with this beer or this brewery i mean it you have to be in vermont to yep. get any. yeah at the alchemist they're in stowe um mm-hmm. founded in 2003 and uh i've uh, been going for for a long time now um started off with heady topper that was the big new england ipa the, you know the the thing that brought everything to to forefront and where IPAs are now, um, you know, as opposed to the West Coast style, um, and then they made Focal Banger, which I don't know about you, Rob, but I I prefer Focal Banger over Heavy Topper. Yeah, I th- yeah? I think I do. Um, okay. I'm not ready to stake an absolute claim, <laughs> but if if somebody hands me either one of these, I'm going to drink it. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I'm not going to turn down a heady topper, but if I have a heady topper in my left hand and a focal banger in my right, I'm going with the focal. I'm going to drink the focal banger first. Yeah. And then drink the and Well, yes, because <laughs> the secret is you definitely have to drink both. Yeah. But I mean, as a. The second one is better than the first one, whatever order you do it in. That's, I mean, I that's mean, the way and beer works. As a fan of pale ales, yeah. I mean, yeah. I don't know how you can not like what Alchemist does. I mean, right. Yeah. They're yeah. Very clever. I've been, I've only been lucky enough to taste Alchemist beer a few times. This, that's, I'm very excited to have another one today. Yeah. Yeah. But it's one of those things. It's, it's similar to, I mean, you and I probably can connect <laughs> on this, and I'm sure, I'm actually sure you know about it, but. 
it's kind of how Three Floyds feels like in the Midwest. I mean, it's right. uh, it's very much, especially if you see a zombie dust or certain styles of their beer. If you see it in the store, you're not gonna pass it by. You you're going it to up. grab it right then. Yeah. yeah. So should we pop one of these babies open? I, I think Let's we should it. pop them open. All right, all three. Let's I assume. Do it. Yeah. Cheers. Okay. Now there we go. Let's see how long they, they've been in my fridge since the last time I went to Vermont. So I will. I don't care. Well, I, think it, I think it's going to be good, but it's okay. not the pristine moment of oh, I just harvested this from the, from the top of the mountain. Ah, uh, the the not, not the yeah. freshest of the fresh. The 2019 beer harvest. Yes. Yeah. 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 It's not fresh off the vine. Is all I'm saying. No. That's it's going to be delicious. How Cheers. beer works. Cheers. Cheers, everyone. Salud. Salud. Slanche. Still good. And one thing oh, like... Yeah. Still good. Yeah. yeah. Still good. Still, still <laughs> good. I mean, one thing hear about... hear that smile that just showed up. <laughs> it did happen. But yeah, maybe you could. Maybe you could hear it. You could hear the yeah. smile. Yes. <laughs> Matt's face is beaming right it's now. It's glazed over. Um, yes. <laughs> A little bit of drool kind of <laughs> one side. <laughs> Bravo. Picture it didn't happen. Bravo. So JD, what, what kind of flavors are you are you picking out? What should we be what should we or anyone who's trying a focal banger um, so, think about as they're tasting it? So focal banger is made with mosaic and citra hops. So citra hops are among my favorite. Uh, mosaic are not my favorite in the world, but like the combination of the two, pretty damn good. Yeah. Um, why why do you like citra hops so much? Uh Citra, it's like they bring a like the flavor is a little bit more citrusy, a little more mm-hmm. uh, like melon or mango uh, flavor as well. Um, mosaic for me tends to be a little bit kind of more perfumey taste. Um, I well don't know. If, yeah. yeah, I mean, there's a reason it says "drink from the can" with an exclamation point. Like they want all that to stay right in there. So I mean, the picture of the guy on the can is literally sniffing the smell, like right out of the can. Yes. that on my mm. it's good can sniff mm. <laughs> well no I, I do think that that is an interesting thing that yeah. the alchemist does because you know there are only a few beers in the world that as a standard kind of demand a certain way of drinking it or a garnish you know like right. the idea that a blue moon automatically comes with an orange is is really good marketing it's amazing <laughs> and the same thing the same thing with a Guinness you know yeah. that yeah. that they're the only internationally um, like the beer that you can get around the world that requires a nitro tap. I mean, you're right. if you see a nitro tap at a bar, and it's not for Guinness, it's it doesn't it's not a beer that you can get anywhere around the world. And right. the same thing right. for this case. I mean, it says don't put it in a glass. Yeah, and it's it's just interesting because I think a lot of us who enjoy craft beer get used to the idea that there is a glass for every beer, whether it's a different right. style, like. Yeah. But it's better in a glass. It, it lets the flavors out. But this is yeah. the opposite. Keep this is the glass. It's interesting. This yeah. is the glass. This is the glass. This is yeah. the right one. It's, they, which is, it's provided. Yeah, which is <laughs> also hard for me because I am a glassware addict and I have like upwards of 60 different glasses at the house. I've wow. seen that. Yeah. yeah wow. Which is ridiculous. But Stepped I into the lion's den here. <laughs> cannot. Cannot. Can't stop. Won't stop. Yeah. 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 <laughs> well, I also like the artwork on it a lot. I mean, this is just, I'm, I'm pretty sure that this was painted or illustrated by Dan Blakesley, who is another local New England artist. He lives I in Providence now. Um, but uh, he also, he did the art for Hetty Topper as well. And um, I don't know if it says it anywhere on here, but it's it's almost assuredly Dan. He did the, the, uh, the Hetty Topper 
uh, art. And it, it I mean, it's looks fantastic. very much like his yeah. style. Hops coming out of his ears. I just mm-hmm. like the sort of fractalness of it. Like he's holding a can of himself, holding a can of himself. Like if you zoom in closer and closer, there's an That's infinite. How far does it go? Yeah. 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 Self-replicating. I'm a, I, I do have a math degree. And, uh, and so fractals are, are definitely a, a satisfying thing. <laughs> well, oh, and, and that's a, that's a good time to actually switch to your background because I think that your journey to where you are now, which is pursuing music full time uh, oh, yeah. and succeeding in doing so. Thank you. Um, so far so good. But, to to this <laughs> point, your, your root is in education, correct? Do you want to maybe walk us through your, yeah. your professional journey, your musical journey and sure. how, how you got here? Yeah, I, I like to tell people that my whole life is frameworked around this this little. It's it's. Uh, I have this little acronym that I came up with. It's Kojiad, C O G, I A D, Kojiad, which stands for continuous outward growth in all directions. Mm. Kojiad, <laughs> and uh, I, that's just a, a synopsis of. I have always liked some of everything, jack of all trades, kind of. Mm-hmm. Um, hopefully master of at least a couple. And I think that the the phrase jack of all trades, master of none, is only if jack doesn't pursue at least one of them for 10,000 hours. <laughs> so I'm jack of all trades, master of like one and a half or two at this point. Um, working on more. I'm on the 90-year plan. Yeah. You know, I plan to live to be 90, and so okay. I'll be really good at a lot of things by the time I'm 90. I then, believe you. I think yeah. so, too. Yeah. yeah. So Steady were you, armor. as far as like your education goes, Sure. what were you? So I, I started out playing violin uh, when I was eight. It was third grade. They had the school assembly. There was a orchestra instrument, show and tell, band instrument, show and tell on the same uh, assembly. And it's sort of like, well, I really think I would love to play the clarinet. And there's a lot of people that play the saxophone and saxophone's really cool, but you can't do that until you play the clarinet. And I was like, okay, I'm going to do clarinet. But you couldn't be in the band until fourth grade. Mm. You could be in the orchestra in third grade. So I was like, okay, let me figure out a string to play for a year. Maybe I'll do that for a year, and then I'll switch. Um, and, and you know, I was listening to them. I liked the sound of the viola. I thought that'd be cool. But my mom said, you know, I have a violin in the basement from my childhood. It was her violin from when she was a kid. When she was in middle school orchestra, wow. she still had it. So she goes, why don't you start on that? Violin and viola are similar enough that you could probably switch to viola if that really became your passion. But, you know, I already have a violin. Why not? Let's try yeah, that. And the idea yeah. of continuing a legacy with that, that's that's beautiful. I'm not sure if I was that nuanced when I was eight, but uh, it, it, it ended up being the path of least resistance. Yeah. <laughs> so <laughs> I started playing violin and uh, enjoyed it. I enjoyed music activities of all kinds. I was in the, the uh, you know... You know, our general music class, we had like a little musical theater thing that uh, our music director, Mr. Tannis, directed. Um, and uh, like I was in the play, I was Oliver in Oliver with, the, with it was Oliver with a twist. You know? <laughs> so I didn't know this at the time. I wasn't, uh, I, I couldn't, when I was that young, I didn't understand just how flamboyantly gay this guy was. But he did Oliver, but had a stress as Cats from Cats. Like it was, no, it, <laughs> it was that's just the most flaming musical choices possible. Is there a video of this? <laughs> I hope <And> not. <laughs> Can we get but it, please? He's uh, grateful that this uh, is just audio. <laughs> yes. Be very grateful. You know, and I, I loved it. I didn't really enjoy the, the, the tights, the cat's tight 
suit. It, it was weird. That was a strange choice for a third grader to be wearing a cat's outfit. I didn't like that. But anyway, <laughs> I, I, my school was a public school in Evanston, Illinois, and um, that was the music that I happened to have access to. That was just what was available. And so I enjoyed it, and I kept doing it. Middle school comes around. We have this hip new orchestra director, uh, Jim Janesy, who uh, wanted to offer alternative styles. So he had jazz and blues lessons for any orchestra members who were interested in studying that after school. And I was like, yeah, that sounds cool. Let's check that out. I don't know. Maybe, maybe that would be cool. And I enjoyed improvisation. I liked playing blues. It was fun. I got to make up my own stuff. You know, I was always like the fidgety kid in the orchestra that was like kind of messing around and not always doing what I was told anyway. So this was like, now just do whatever you want. Oh, shit. Okay, cool. Yeah, let's do that. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, and so I started playing jazz and blues. Uh, my Uncle Jerry gave me a, a bunch of records, like old jazz records, when he found out that I was interested in jazz. And uh, I heard uh, this great jazz violinist for the first time. His name is Stuff Smith. Stuff Smith. Stuff. Killer. Stuff. I'm so jealous of that name, Stuff Smith. I yeah. mean, that can't. That has to be a stage. It is his. It, I know, but I wish I'm, I thought I will of continue that. pretending that he was born as Stuff Smith. I but, will. I but, mean, <laughs> as we should. Yeah, yeah, as we should. Yeah. I mean, Hezekiah Leroy Gordon Smith was a bit of a mouthful. <laughs> so it's just stuff. Stuff. Yes. I think the story was he used to tell people like he couldn't remember people's names, so he's like, "Hey, what's up, Stuff? Hey, how you doing, Stuff? Like that's what he used as a placeholder for. You know, person's name I should remember but don't. Instead of, um, hey, dude. Hey, yeah, guy. Yeah, was, hey, what's up, stuff? What's up, stuff? And uh, right. and so then people called him stuff. So, so anyway, Stuff Smith is just the nastiest jazz violin. Swings so hard. It's just like this greasy, awesome, amazing fiddle playing. Uh, and like really sophisticated, chromatic, you know, heavy shit. And I was like, this is great. And so I started following that. Started playing... Um, Jean-Luc Ponty records, uh, Mark O'Connor, all this Frank Zappa stuff. My dad had a bunch of rock records, and since Ponty was connected to Zappa, I started kind of going through all the classic rock stuff that he had, and I got into Pink Floyd, and, you know, just one thing leads to another, yeah. and you go where the fiddles go. That was a saying that I think I read in a Mark O'Connor biography, was you go where the fiddles are, you know? And so any improvising violin that was sort of a non-traditional thing, I was trying to figure out what's up with that. So, you know, got to high school and uh, joined a little like family band that played like folky kind of stuff, like, because I could improvise a little bit over simple chords. And so we'd play, you know, an Irish tune or like mm. an old folk song or like... It's like traditional folk yeah, sort of music. Or like did edge into some blue... Yeah, that's what yeah, I was going to say. You know, Will the Circle Be Unbroken, Carter Family, that kind of mm. stuff. Sort of simple Americana uh, yeah. classics. And uh, that plus Mark O'Connor. I keep bringing him up because... He's such a, a seminal figure in terms of me learning about all these other different styles and genres. Mm. He was sort of a, a cross-pollinator, still is, a uh, cross-pollinator of many different genres. Um, and when I was getting to be into, I was going into undergrad, uh, two things happened at the same time. One was I went to Mark O'Connor's string camp. He had a fiddle camp in, out in Nashville, Tennessee, where he was teaching and a bunch of other really interesting musicians that have become mentors and role models and friends and colleagues and heroes of mine uh, were teaching at that. So, you know, really great musicians like uh, Buddy Spiker, who's this, you know, just 
80-something-year-old legend who's been the top session guy in Nashville for like 50 years yeah. or something. It's just like, just a, he's a dream of a man, just beautiful, amazing spirit. Um, Christian House, who's just like the super badass jazz player. Um, Tracy Silverman, who's like, went to Juilliard, but like, plays a six string electric violin and like, you know, has the long flowing, like hair metal looked, <laughs> he did like rock violin and stuff. Mark Wood also hair flowing, you know, he has this like flying V electric violin that he's designed these Viper violins. So Mark Wood was a teacher at that camp. Uh, Jeremy Kittle, who's like Scottish national fiddle champion, but he's toured with Chick Corea and plays jazz and is classically trained. I mean like this incredible, like army of the best and weirdest and coolest string players of every discipline. And you got to be in front of these players all at the same time at Wedge. Yeah, for, for a whole, this was freshman year going into college, the wow, summer before wow. college. And so I could play, but I didn't really know my way around harmony and I didn't know that many different styles of music. So I mean, that's, just, that's an opportunity that people would kill for, for, for any, for their respective instrument. Up. I mean, that's, that's the dream. It was incredible. Yeah. So I went to that, for several summers in a row. Yeah. The other thing that happened was someone came to visit my high school, a guy named Andy Carlson. Now, Andy Carlson is the Georgia State fiddle champ, old time, you know, contest style fiddle music, bluegrass and then that style. Um, but he also is classically trained, has a, a doctorate in violin pedagogy. He was the chair of the music department at this little liberal arts school in Ohio called Denison. So he came to my high school because his bandmate, this bassist, his brother-in-law was my high school orchestra director. Sure. So they brought him in and they did a workshop where they played like bluegrass tunes arranged for orchestra. This whole time in high school, I'm doing jazz and orchestra at the same time. You know, I'm studying both. And then I'm like going out and hanging out with the stoners playing hacky sack and like listening to like pink floyd and stuff so truly you know music integrated into every facet of your life every bit yeah all the time yeah i, I had a <laughs> i had a friend who called me music box because i was always like humming or singing or beatboxing or tapping on something i, I can see that yeah yes like i just never stopped making sounds for better or for worse i got in trouble in fifth grade and you know i think those were the early signs <laughs> that you were going to be such a an adamant looper though i mean the, the looping yeah. work you do is unbelievable thank you very much and, yeah um I, I like so to... did you end up attending denison yes Exactly. And they have a bluegrass program there. Wow. So now they actually offered a degree in bluegrass music, which at the time they did not. I'd like to think of myself as a successful case study. Yeah, <laughs> you, were, you, you helped play form it. the major. They yeah. got accredited after I left. So you're welcome. <laughs> <laughs> um, but uh, so that was really cool. While I was there in the bluegrass ensemble, I got to focusing on singing more because bluegrass is more about harmonies and, and vocal yeah. stuff. So that led me to start doing more singing work. I had been singing, you know, before I was in choir in middle school and, you know, this, you know, Oliver back in the day, you know, yeah. whatever. But uh, uh, this this put it more into a central focus. I also, at the same time, was getting obsessed with Jocko Pastorius on oh, the bass. Oh, yeah. Uh, oh, man. And, uh, and then all the bassists that that rabbit hole yeah. led down. So Victor Wooten and Marcus Miller and Stanley Clark and, you know, all these amazing uh, players, Ray Brown, and then, you know, uh, all these jazz musicians and bassists and, you know, something about the low end. I could never play it on the violin. I feel like a lot of my instrumental development, I'm starting to feel the effects of the banger here. Mm. Yeah, you are. Mm. Just drink more. 
Ah, but no, that's that's the best yeah. way to put it. I, I think that yeah, you you only have a um, you have a limitation on the register that you are working with. Yeah, at so, that time. So I've been working on expanding that ever since. Yeah, One, the yeah. way that I did it then was I just bought an electric bass off of eBay, mm -hmm. and then I borrowed my buddy Brian's uh, BC Warlock like death metal <laughs> spiky ass black bass that had like action it was crazy high and impossible to play and I was <laughs> trying to play stuff on that and then I finally got this this Franken parts bass in the off of eBay it's like a a J bass body but a P bass neck and it has a set of music man pickups in the middle of the two J but bass but enough pickups. to learn the instrument you know and, and get your bearings that's still my only electric bass that thing's awesome really it's that's got cool. so many tones in it but as, and when I got that, I could finally play and I yeah. could get get around. I guess I still haven't changed the strings since I since I bought it. Wow. <laughs> like two thousand seven or two thousand eight. They're like ten year old bass strings. They're just dead and wow. great. <laughs> just thump. Well, you can't fake that. I mean, that's yeah. that's yeah. You know the. I'm assuming you use it for recording, some producing yep. or. Yep, it's on my record. Yeah. yeah. And so. that's the thing is you can't fake that. Like you, there's there's no automation of that. There's no setting of that. I mean. Though all of those tones that have come from real years and years of those that of have those. been beaten up for a while, yeah, yeah. I mean, because because <laughs> you can have as many preamps and plugins as you want, but there's nothing like that. That's, That's right. Cool. Yeah. So that was cool. I also started playing mandolin because that is tuned the same way as a violin. And there was a band like one of the bluegrass ensemble combos didn't have a mandolin, so school loaned me a mandolin, and so I was. I mean, I was just milking the music department there. It was such a small school, and there weren't a lot of really serious musicians who were like in it to study everything they could. And I was like, yes, I'll take these lessons and these lessons and these lessons. So you're just like a sponge. Totally. Just like, yeah, so it was everything up. incredible. Yeah. And so what, what, what was the degree that you ended up getting? So <laughs> when I entered Denison, I, I thought I was going to do math. I'd always loved math. I was, you know, I was on the math team in high school. For oh, yeah. Real, real talk. Yeah, mathletes. <laughs> we yeah. were the we were the most turnt math team in any high school. I mean, I remember just getting into, like, we were, we had, like, we'd snuck, like, booze in a Gatorade bottle into the, into the, uh, the, the math meets. <laughs> no way. <laughs> and, of course, then we didn't score as well, but it well, was a yeah. great time. Yeah. But I, I think that makes a lot of sense that, that those interests aligned for you because oh, yeah. so much about music is counting patterns. It's, yeah. Patterns yeah. is the best way to put it. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I, I entered Denison with interest of math major and music minor, because if I was at least a performance certificate minor, all my lesson fees were waived. So mm -hmm. I could take lessons and like, yeah, I'll get a minor in music. No problem. Cool. Gradually, that became, okay, music is just as important. And so I got a math major and a music major. I ended up with a BS in math and a BA in violin performance wow. in those four years. I mean, like, I really worked a lot. Yeah. But it sounds like it was <laughs> yeah. something that you, like, loved to work at. Totally, yeah. And the math department, bless them, if you were going into grad school in math, they were, like, tons of support, really helpful, gave me all kinds of advice and, you know really helpful, amazing people. As soon as it became clear that I might go into another career path, like I might be doing music more than math, it was like, poof, bye, see ya. Oh, yes. <laughs> Heartbreak. <laughs> and whereas the music department just kept giving me more free stuff. So I'm like, okay, well, I guess I'll do this. And yeah. so you get to this point, you're seeing your interests and your time 
yeah uh kind of dwindle away from math and feed into music yeah what did you end up becoming a teacher when you went out when yes. you graduated so this this happens i mean in a sense i've always been a teacher type you know i was a summer camp counselor over the summers and you know whenever i know how to do something i'm always sharing about it i just enjoy the process of sharing whether yeah. that's a musical idea or a performance idea or some cool thing that i found that i think is really interesting i i I ended up studying more education stuff in grad school. Um, and that that happened sort of by accident. Also, too, the reason I started going to music for grad school as the main thing I was going to go on and do, um, also by accident, at one of these Mark O'Connor camps over the summer. Because at this point, every summer I'm going to this place. Yeah. It's like heaven. It's amazing. Uh, and there was a flyer for the ASTA conference contest asked as American string teachers association and they had a contest for best improvising string player. So they, you could submit a, a video clip of you playing your, you know, three songs, at least two of which had to be originals, I think, or maybe it was two things and one had to be an original and one mm -hmm. could be a cover or something like that. So I won, they gave me a thousand dollars and I went and performed at their conference in Atlanta. And I was like, Oh shit, I, I think I could, I think I could do this all the time. I just I just got paid to do what I do and like to do. This is great. So while I was there, I met Tanya Kalmanovich, who became my teacher at New England Conservatory. She knew Andy Carlson. They had been hanging out at the ASTA conferences, and kind of he introduced me to her. And uh, I, I did a workshop thing. It was a clinic there. Ironically enough, the guy I was clinicking with was the guy who wrote the books that my middle school orchestra director taught me how to play jazz on. Wow. Yeah. Randy Sabine. He's out in St. Paul, Minnesota. And I have since kept in touch with him and like gone and taught a workshop at, uh, at the school where he is, McNally Smith. Weird that's closed. They, they folded for budget constraints, which is like bizarre because it was a music business program. But <laughs> like, I don't know. How. That's not bizarre at all. That, that makes sense. Yeah. That's, that is what happens, what should happen. There's no money in the music business. That's, <laughs> so sure enough. But anyway, pure dumb luck, series of accidents, meeting nice people, giving me stuff. I decided to go into a career in music. End up at the New England Conservatory, where there was a concentration I could do called Music in Education, uh, M-I-E for short. I took those classes in addition to the work I was doing in the uh, department I was studying in. But it's the same thing. I just never do the one program I'm supposed to do. I keep, I'm always interested in like all the stuff on the periphery. I'm, I'm easily distracted. So I'm like, there's another concentration I can do at the same time as my regular degree program. Cool. Let's cram it in. Well, don't you think yeah. that without putting words in your mouth, uh, do you feel that your curiosity is what sparks your ability and your unique nature as an artist? hundred percent. I mean, I, I think that from the outside perspective, that seems like that's why you're so successful. I'd say 90% of talent is curiosity. 90%. Because talent as we know it is very misunderstood. There's a lot of stuff that gets labeled talent after somebody has worked really hard and makes something look easy. But the way they got there was just the curiosity and the desire to figure out how something works so that they could do it easily. You know, if you don't have the spark and that drive and that interest, you're not going to end up pursuing something to the fullest. So curiosity is, is absolutely what drives me. Yeah, if I'm interested in something, I'm going to keep doing it. 
whether or not it's the most direct path or the best financial decision or the clearest career choice, you know, it's like, I'm going to keep doing all the things all of the time. Koji ad continuous yeah. outward growth in all directions. Not, not some of them, you yeah. know, always all the things, <laughs> all the things all yeah. the time. That's right. Yeah. I love that. And, yeah. um, speaking of curiosity and, and where your interests have brought you to, I, I think that JD and I are, are very impressed by, just this the the broad span of creative projects you've taken on. I mean, yeah, um, <laughs> it's because I can't stop saying yes to stuff. <laughs> well, and and it's fantastic. And and one of the things that I noticed, you know, when diving a little deeper into your music mm-hmm. was that your 2017 release, mm-hmm. "Distractible Boy." Yep, absolutely titled. Yeah, this <laughs> actually, yeah, perfect time. Yeah. But that body of work is joyful it's light it's uplifting it's playful it's uh accessible yeah and it's interesting and i want to talk a little bit about a few of those songs at one point but what sure what interested me is the vast difference between that collection Mm. and your release from just a year year prior (laughs) because you released another album trifecta that was wildly world music influenced. I mean, there were, Completely there different. were yeah. uh, elements of Indian percussion, traditional Absolutely. Indian percussion oh, in yeah. there. Oh yeah. Um, it was certainly a lot more of like the bluegrass or like the, the trad folk that you were mentioning. Right. How did you go? And you could even dive into to what went behind that project, but how did you go from in a year's time from, from that project to what we see with distractible boy? Koji had, <laughs> I've been working on all of this all the time. I just, uh, so Trifecta was a collaboration with a cellist named Joy Adams, who I met at some of these O'Connor camps. Actually, we were both teachers at the, the O'Connor Method camps. We got certified to teach Mark O'Connor's like American folk music sort of string method. Um, so we met in teaching in that capacity. And, and I was like, well, we got to collaborate. Like, let's play together. And uh, and then the the other collaborator is an amazing tabla player named Rajesh Bandari, and Raj is one of the most ridiculous percussionists I've ever met. He is so freaking good. He is, I mean, just like legendary status musician. He's played Carnegie Hall with Zakir Hussain, who's like the OG. He's like the, a god of tabla. <laughs> he's Raj is Zakirji's student. And uh, he's he toured with Shakira for a while. So like there was a period where if you like went into a Walmart, you see like Shakira on the TV and it's her being like, and I'm a gypsy. And it's like, <laughs> and he's in the background playing the tabla. JD, yeah. he's trying to speak. Stop saying into the mic. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I can't stop. Come on. Yeah. But his hips don't lie. So <laughs> that's a fact without question. Lock it up. You better lock it up. No, you lock it up. You lock, lock it up. Lock it up. Anyway, so I met Raj. Here's another thing that I haven't mentioned yet. Uh, at the Bates Dance Festival, which is happening at the same time as all of this. I do a lot of work with modern dancers. So um, in terms of blending your music with dance, or yeah. you dance yourself? No, you not, not yet. <laughs> <laughs> I say not yet because I don't want to say no, I don't. I just don't yet. Well, because the more dancers you work with, the more they're going to. They're going to be like, no, nah, we could probably set an easy piece of movement on you or whatever. I don't know. We'll, we'll get there. I'm not, I'm not ready to identify as a dancer yet. That's <laughs> not me yet. Um, but this is, again, something that I stumbled into by dumb luck. When I was at Denison, 
the music buildings were all on the arts quad and in between the main music building and the performance space where the bluegrass ensemble rehearsed was Doan Dance Hall. And I'd be walking past the dance building and there was this killer drumming coming out of there like like just like crazy shit. And I'm like, what the, who, is that a recording? Like what, you know, cause we don't have, there was a jazz drum teacher in the music program and there was a timpani player like a classical percussion guy but there was nobody playing djembe conga certainly not like that you know so i was like who is that i wandered in there one day and i was just like hi who are you what is this because <laughs> <laughs> this is cool you sound good what's going on and his name was terence Carn. terence is one of the most joyous people i have ever met like the guy is just pure happiness bottled in a little bottle <laughs> he's 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 like five bottle three. in bottle. a little in bottle, bottle. Yeah. Yeah. within a bottle and it's full of polish Designed potato by Dan vodka Blakesley. it's yes. <laughs> yeah <laughs> he, he's he's a party man um so he's like yeah i'm the dance accompanist my job is to play music for ballet and modern dance and west african dance classes that happen here at the school i was like that's a job what and he's like yeah and i just played by myself i just you know and he had this crazy rig set up where he had a piano and then an accordion and like a cowbell on a foot pedal and then like a tri stand with it was like converted gardening stands for like pottery stuff but he had put like a two doombecks and a djembe in the stand so he could play three drums at the same time and like just crazy stuff. And I, and he played for all these class, and he plays like little wooden flutes and, you know, all these little odds and end instruments for whatever the class needs, not necessarily the most virtuosic on all of them. You know, he's not going to sit down and play like a Rachmaninoff piano concerto or something, but he can play two or three or four instruments at the same time, you know, while singing and playing drums with his hand here and the piano here. And, and that was like a game changer for me. I was like, this is all his own sound and it's sort of whatever he wants to do. And so I actually did work study playing with him. So I, he would have me like come play violin with him for ballet. And I like learned how to watch a phrase happening and how to play something that would support the dancers and not like just shit all over it, you know? Yeah. <laughs> so play like a specific line that was better for the dancers and made them move better. And that was like a really cool power to have of playing something where the better you played, the more you threw down, the more you could see these dancers just like start to sweat and like throw down and really work. And I was like, oh, this is great, you know. So cut to graduation. Terrence says, hey, you're going to grad school in Boston. You're going to be in the Boston area kind of over the summer. That's not too far from Maine. Um, why don't you come up and visit the Bates Dance Festival? This is at Bates College, which is in Lewiston, Maine. Um, I'm the music director for the youth arts program there, which is like a kid's summer arts camp. Come on up. Uh, you know, We'll put you up. We'll give you food. We'll give you room and board. Um, and if you, you'll be my assistant for a week and like help me teach kids music. They can hear you play and like you can go in the afternoons and like check out the other dance musicians and see how they play for different classes. And so that was a whole life-changing summer experience. I still, to this day, go to the Bates Dance Festival every summer. Wow. I'm there for three weeks every summer. And so when you think about that experience that you had, was that 
sort of the first time that you looked at yourself and said, I want to see how many sounds I can make at once. <laughs> kind of, yeah. I mean, it it was the norm for all of these dance accompanists to be just like one dude with a crazy rig that he built. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and I keep saying, dude, there are a few female dance accompanists, but not that many. And certainly it seems it's a little bit of a boys club there at that festival. Well, I, I think that's you know? valuable that you bring it up. I think yeah. that's important. It's, I mean, but in the same way that there's a lot, a lot, a lot of women dancers, of course, like, yeah. and, and not a lot of guy dancers. It's not for better on any of these counts. It's just a weird thing to kind of notice and yeah. go hmm, weird. Yeah. <laughs> I forgot. The reason I bring up the Bates dance festival is one of the other accompanists who was playing for dance classes. There was Raj. And he was playing tabla, but he also had a little synth setup and then was playing djembe and tabla and synth all at the same time. Which, I mean, he's a ridiculous tabla player. On the merits of that alone, he's one of the best musicians I've ever met. But that he could also then play djembe and tabla and synth while watching a dance teacher and like kind of fitting whatever his improvisations were to match their needs. Incredible. So to me, that sort of the highest aesthetic success is something that blends everything. It has crazy instrumental virtuosity. It's something that is, is played at a very high level. It's moving. It has an intimate sort of visceral connection, like literally moving. It causes people to be compelled to dance or feel some sort of kinesthetic response to the music. Um, and then if it's got lyrics and this is as I developed as a singer, and as a songwriter, uh, that became another dimension of something to kind of work on and, and figure out how to best do that. So for me, Distractable Boy was an attempt to synthesize all of my loves into one place. And it might be a little disjointed and it might be a little genre-less or kind of blending stuff that doesn't normally go together or, you know, from track to track, it may have a wildly different feel. But like, those are all the things I like. And so I just wanted to kind of throw them all in one place and just represent, here's where I'm at right now. Speaking of how many sounds you can make at once, <laughs> do you mind showing us, playing a song? Yeah. Showing us something? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to play a solo on a beer can because one of the things I learned at the Bates Dance Festival, uh, hanging out and partying real hard, was uh, how to play a beer can. So put a little bend in it and then you can... You can get the little flippy top of the topper. Mmm, foco banger. Mmm, foco banger. Mmm, foco banger. It's a hanger, that foco banger. <laughs> The other really good one is the coffee thermos, which if it's only partway full, you can do this. That's kind of nice. Still coffee in there. 
Now that we'd warmed up, we asked Rob to play a song from 2017's Distractable Boy. So maybe I'll sing a song now called Angle. And uh, I've got this brand new little mini pedal board here. And I don't really know how to use it yet. And I've never played this song using it. But screw it, let's try it. Koji Ed. Oh, I never can predict the angle of the rain. If I lean my umbrella, the direction seems to change. Try to keep myself protected, but I always try in vain. Oh, I never can predict the angle of the rain. What time the train will come Seems I always miss by seconds End up sucking on my thumb Standing on that open platform In the winter makes me numb Oh, I never can predict What time the train will come Oh, what time the train will come
So Rob, you played us track seven off of oh fuck, distract uh, uh, <laughs> nailed it, nailed no, it. do a shot, distractable boy, <laughs> ironically, do a shot, <laughs> beer and I, I would someone yes. uh, need a bottle of Malort. Fuck yeah, we do. Yeah, yeah. Do you even know what that is? Yeah. What is Malort? Oh, you, you better get your life. We're gonna is get this you like some little fist bump for that. Chicago gonna, shit. That is yeah. exactly what it is. This is not beer. Malort. It's yeah. it's the closest thing to Stockholm syndrome you can achieve in alcohol. Like I love it and I don't know why. It's the closest thing <laughs> to a blend of uh you take ten pine cones and you put it in a blender yeah. and uh-huh. then you melt some glue and then you mix that Splash all together with some licorice yeah. and a little bit of garbage and juice. And like kidnap someone and lock them in a building for a while. And, and make then, them waft it for yeah, a little bit. Yeah. I'm never going to Chicago. Yeah, you are. That's not actually how Malort is produced. We just, you know, it feels I, like it. I don't believe you. It's, it, it, it's You feel that in your heart. Surrender yes. to Malort. I'm afraid. <laughs> <laughs> I'm afraid. I'm going away. It's a, it's a Scandinavian aperitif, you know. It's a, it's a, a anise liquor, liqueur, something like that. Anise. Yeah. Anise. Is it anise? Anise. 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 Anemone. <laughs> It's an I heard, anus. I heard anus for it's sure. It's an anus liquor. I mean, from what you guys you just did, described, just it, this anus. is like an Listen, anus liquor. I want to be the guy that did. pretends that he doesn't know how to pronounce that, <laughs> and that's how I pronounce it. How do you pronounce it? It's anus, right? Yes. Oh, yes, the anus. Like yes. the licorice flavor? Yeah. Yes. Just uh, it, yeah, it's an anus flavor. It's, it's like a licorice, <laughs> one, it just needs a little bit more anus. As one wise yeah. scholar once said, yeah. I touched the butt. Wow. <laughs> the butt was touched And it yeah. was thus touched Yeah And, and then Malort was born yeah. <laughs> Anyway <laughs> So So Rob Thank you for playing for us yeah. uh, You included track 7 Off of Distractable Boy That's right um, Track titled Angle Could you tell us about the story Sure Behind that Yeah absolutely I was uh, Teaching And studenting At the same time When I got to Boston I mentioned earlier I was doing the music in education program. I was also doing outreach through another amazing extracurricular opportunity center at NEC. It's called the the CPP office, Community Performances and Partnerships. So I got a teaching fellowship where I was an intern at a Catholic school in Dorchester and uh, helping teach kids beginner violin classes. This is a cool school, St. John Paul II Catholic Academy. Every fifth grader must take violin. They have to. I think that's part of their core subject stuff. And I was like, this is part of what I think is right. You know, I remember getting to take orchestra when I was in elementary school, and that changed my life. So every child should have access to that. And, you know, ideally, maybe more than one year of something like violin. I I wish that SJP would do. I think they actually, since I left teaching there, have now made it fifth and sixth graders. So you do two years of violin in a row, which is very cool. I left to tour this record, though. Um, people were like, man, you're only going to be young enough to crash on friends' couches once. You can always come back to classroom teaching. Go go tour. So I'm doing that. But I miss my kids. You know, I was teaching, like, after I graduated from NEC, um, that internship turned into a full-time position. They They hired me to teach at all four of their campuses. And then I was also teaching at another school in Watertown. So I was teaching 200 kids a year how to play the violin. Um, and... Uh, this was, I was writing Angle during my 
second year of grad school when I was doing my internship there. I was just at one campus. It's near the Ashmont station at the end of the red line. And so I was walking to the red line and it was one of those kind of terrible rainstorms where the rain's kind of coming at you sideways, you know, like, and you like lean your umbrella and hope to avoid the, you know, getting wet, but of course it doesn't the work. Wetness. Yeah. The wetness. You it's don't the want the essence of beauty. Yeah. <laughs> it, and later I, I learned, but at the time I was just like, fuck man, shit, let me just get this, <laughs> you know, I hope my students aren't listening to this Catholic school teacher <laughs> just swearing up a storm. Um, anyway, uh, you know, I, I, I would lean my umbrella to try and protect myself and it didn't work. And, uh, and I was like, I never can predict the angle of the rain. And that was a good enough lyric to, to generate the rest of the song. I was also in a songwriter ensemble while I was at NEC my second year. There was a songwriter class in the CI program. So I brought that in and like workshopped it a little bit. And, you know, I just remember the chorus is not really a chorus. It's na 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 na. And uh, my teacher at the time was like, you know, that the chorus, you just need something kind of na 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 na. And I was like, that's it. <laughs> Literally just nonsense. Just Perfect. Great. So I don't know if Hankus gets a writing credit for that. I think probably not, but um, it was certainly helpful to hear his feedback and the feedback of my peers on that. Workshopped it a little bit. And then I recorded it. That's one of the few songs on the record that is not me playing all the instruments. It's me with a rhythm section of fellow NEC students. This is Charles Burchell on the drums, Oliver Watkinson on the bass, and Enrique Eisenman on the piano. And these guys were just monster jazz musicians who were in the jazz program there. Um, I remember auditioning at the same time as Enrique and being like, holy shit, this guy better get in. And he, he did. And he's just like, to this day, one of my favorite pianists to play with Charles, if he weren't living in Italy with two kids, is it two kids now? He has at least one kid, maybe a second on the way, at least one kid, <laughs> but that's that's another continent and children, so I don't get to play with him much. I'm bummed about it. And then Oliver moved to New Orleans, so fuckers. Anyway, but uh, it's a great song, and I'm glad we recorded it. So that's yeah. that's the story of how that came to be. It's a beautiful song, and I'm very glad you could share it with us as well. Thank you very much. To provide some variance for the hoppiness of our first beer, and to cater to Rob's love for coffee, we sampled the Sump Coffee Stout by Perennial Artists and Nails in St. Louis, Missouri. Let's see how this at 11.5% brew hit us. I don't drink coffee at all. Really? Um, I quit coffee a few years back. Oh, man. And, yeah, I drink hot tea if uh -huh. I need, like, a little something-something. But I drink coffee stouts. Yeah. Fuck yes. Um, <laughs> cheers so to that. cheers. Yeah. Salud. Salud. Got a little coffee oh. stout going on. Yeah. Um, this is Sump coffee stout from perennial brewing in st louis missouri i was just in st louis i did it so far whoa oh, damn yeah whoa and this wow. is good shit wow may i see that bottle please you yeah may. i'm gonna look um, at it wow. as it goes Can by you tell me about this pass it over tell here. me about this beer please <laughs> yeah, so perennial like a santa death skull thing going on yeah that so, is that is a santa death like skull. it's, it is. it's yeah. a skull but with a santa it's perennial actually, artisan ales it is and that's 10.6 percent wow. imperial stout <laughs> with sump glos rosales coffee yeah mm -hmm. wow. yeah wow. so that's the logo from the coffee shop from uh 
from Sump Coffee in, in St. Louis. Got it. Okay. Yeah. So, so who's responsible for the beer? That's perennial. 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 Okay. Yeah. So it's a collab between a coffee place and a beer yeah. place. Exactly. That's, JD. My, so, that's what I'm talking so about. So like, uh, yeah. so basically perennial decided to use their coffee and once a year they brew Sump, um, the Sump Stout, but then they also barrel age it and make a barrel aged version. Which is absolutely amazing. Wow. This is the regular. So, but they they brew I'm not this sure I'm once ready for the year. Once a year, it's yeah. beautiful. Wow, thank yeah. you. This is an honor. Then, yeah. yeah so this you. is the 2017 version, and it's absolutely delicious. Wow. So JD, when you think about how many different flavors and notes that we now have the ability to integrate into our beer, particularly in darker beers and porters and stouts, yeah. What do you like about coffee stouts, or what have you found about coffee stouts mm. versus uh, a milk stout or um, any other sort of lactose vanilla flavors that you can put into a stout? Why do you like coffee stouts? I believe, I mean, so this is, you're adding one adjunct to this, mm. coffee. Mm. That's it. Nowadays, you have so many pastry stouts where people are adding like donuts and pastry stout yes tell me what that means that's (laughs) what 2018 was pretty much the year of the pastry stout to where people are adding um (laughs) they're you know you're adding donuts you're basically like diabetes in a bottle wow um yeah and um, now where you have pastry stouts called rocky road where it tastes like rocky like like liquid rocky road wow um and bring it when you bring it back to something like this to where it's simple it's delicious you don't have all these other adjuncts and sometimes this is all you need mm. you know you need something basic something simple and something that's absolutely delicious like 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 this and coffee and perennial has a lot just of, like nails it coffee has a lot of notes to begin with i mean yeah. i'm i'm a total coffee drinker i will like i said i'm a junkie i will drink any coffee that's presented to me unless it's decaf but <laughs> like, it's like what's the point yeah you know it's just it's you know it's it's like it's like a, a nudie mag it's not it's it's an imitation <laughs> it's, it's not the, it's not the it's real fake. thing you know yeah yeah heard it here first yeah, yeah. well no and so <laughs> jd for those that might not know too much about the brewing process um myself included well yeah so for i'm a noob when you think about IPAs, it's it's quite easy to understand where a hoppy flavor comes from. Mm. You have your boiling wort, or your you know soon to be becoming beer wort, and you're throwing in hops at a certain frequency and a certain type of hops for usually an hour's time. When you're thinking about darker beers like this that have all these flavors, including a pastry stout with a donut. At, at what stage of the brewing do you integrate those ingredients, and how do you do you know how it's done um from my like i've never been a part of this brewing process but from my like you know research and knowledge um a lot of this is like cold brewed and like steeped Got and it. then uh thrown into into the brewing process you know kind of at the beginning that makes um, sense so makes like sense 24 coffee, yeah. Yeah. yeah yeah so like 24 to 48 hours they're like cold you know Ugh. cold steep it and then mm. go from there mm. um but a lot of the process is like the brewers actually going out Figuring out what you know blend of coffee that they want to use, um, what you know a lot of them which I love they'll use like local um, local coffee uh, companies who are like like this in St. Louis who are 
using something that's that's right there. <laughs> there it is. There it is. Yeah. He was, was holding that in I was so to hard. Decide if I should do that off mic or on mic, I figure. No, that was wonderful. It's gonna be all yes. right. Well, and JD, you're, you're yeah. exactly right. It's a good I think beer, folks. As as the craft <laughs> beer movement beer becomes more <laughs> personal and more about your local area, I mean. Yeah. As much as we can make our comments about this being in Boston, mm. Harpoon Brewery, mm-hmm. one of the largest breweries in the greater Boston area, mm-hmm. has brewed a porter with Dunkin' Donuts coffee, yep. in, yeah, which yeah. is fantastic because everyone in Boston loves Dunkin', and exactly. why not? It's it's, ama- it's perfect branding. I haven't, I haven't tasted it. it. Have no. you tried it? Have you uh, tried it? I have not tried that okay. one. Okay. All right. We yeah. got to go out and yeah. take care of this right away. Yeah, yeah. Listeners, I, let us know. I saw it in a store, and I was like, oh. I was like, I get it. Oh, but no. also, oh, oh man, oh, you love to hate it. You love to hate it. So but it's true. the same thing. It's it's Talk about that's diabetes. The core of it. It's the same like like Trillium. They <laughs> use um, like Barrington coffee uh, for mm. for a few of theirs. Um, uh, Mystic. They used uh, George Hal, which mm, is a local. That's great. Yeah, wow. Local oh, I want to try that too. If, yeah. if anyone ever um, yeah, ever makes a trip hole. through Indianapolis, uh, as long as they still have it when I was living there, um, I you know this indie beer. You're from there. Uh, I went to school in Indianapolis. Okay, yeah, uh, yeah got yeah. it, got it. But uh, there's there's a brewery that has a uh, porter with coffee from a local spot called Hubbard and Cravens. It's very very delicious. Hubbard and yeah, the brewery Hubbard and Hubbard Cravens. and yeah. Cravens and the the brewery's Three Wise Men by Scotty's Brewhouse. Okay, right yeah, on. it's it's a really really cool brewery. And, and so long as it was honestly my favorite beer they made, and was any of that because of the local influence? Because I knew that it had elements of another local product and that collaboration is cool or was it because it was their best beer yeah. you know i think it's probably both. both i mean when it's nearby you can test it more easily too it's not like let's buy a shitload of it and hope that this is the right flavor yeah. you can go over and be like let me get a cup and then pour it in uh, actually let me try the light roast actually yeah. let me try the dark roast. you know what i mean i wonder if dark or light roast is better for beer stuff, which is going to stick out more. I certainly drink light wo- roast when I can. Yeah. Um, I think when it you when you roast the beans a lot, you lose some of the goodness. You certainly uh, roast off some of the caffeine. And like I said, junkie mm. here, I need the the most caffeine per square inch. You know, so yeah, yeah. If I could take Just an like IV, right in your veins, I would. Buddy. I would, man. Yeah. And so, how about this, Rob? Uh, if you could combine any New England-based coffee with any brewery, which might end up being your favorite brewery making a coffee mm. stout with mm. X company. What what would it be? What's your combo? Well, I will say this. Um, as an addict, I get my fix where I can, and I don't have... <laughs> you don't have a go-to place? Actually, no that's favorite not place true. in Boston? You know what? Nothing? I do have a favorite. It's Fazenda. That's what I have in my my coffee thermos right now. Fazenda Roasters, they are based... I think the actual roasting operation happens in Dedham. But they have a little restaurant right at Forest Hill Station in Jamaica Plain. It used to be just called Fazenda. It was a little bakery. Now it's called Brassica. And it's like a fancy like dining experience American cuisine in the evening, mm-hmm. but it's like a, a little cafe brunch spot in the daytime. And they have, it's just, everything is really good there. The coffee is amazing. The, uh, the, the little breakfast sandwiches are killer. They have, they make homemade donuts, which disappear instantly. Like Check it out. Because if, people buy them to brew beer with them. Probably yeah. <laughs> well, I don't know. You, you heard it here first, folks. It's happening. No, yeah. this, this, uh, spilling uh, the beans. I would love to see Fazenda, as 
a collaborator with a beer company. I don't know who. Do you, I mean, you know, do you want who, the Alchemist. Yeah, that'd be cool. Or Turtle Swamp Turtle actually Swamp? would be the right call because that's a JP because right there. It's yeah. all the JP love. Yeah. yeah, I love me some. I have, JT, I have a squash JP. buckle Imperial Porter by Turtle Swamp over there. There you right go. Now. I have not tried that. Um, I think the last time I was at Turtle Swamp was like noon. And I, it wasn't the right time. Turtle Swamp is dope. We're going to have to, that's a rule. We got to talk about Turtle Swamp every single time we record a podcast. Oh, is that a thing you've done? Previously? It's now come up both times. Twice, so it's, yeah. Yeah, it has right. to happen every time. Yeah. It's it's on the cusp. Brandon will have to come and speak at the podcast. Yes. Yeah, there you go. Yeah. So you, you think about how we can have these conversations because in the United States, you're allowed to still consider something a beer when you're putting in more than the main four ingredients. Right. So um, interesting. Anyone who, not elsewhere. There are, there are some places around the world mainly germany where if you have any more than the main four ingredients in beer it cannot be called a beer so all of these weird beers that we're talking about beyond pastry what do they call group, them in yeah. germany then if it if it has another element it's probably called a, a, a imitation no, american spiel. <laughs> <laughs> i don't know just like alcoholic beverage like it probably just has a title flavors. that it's not efficient. This. Get to the flavor. Efficiency, <laughs> maximum efficiency. No, this beer is fantastic. All right. You're so as as out. we have our uh, yeah, <laughs> as we have our last few sips of this delicious, delicious coffee stout, um, Rob, I have probably the most difficult question for you. So as we discussed, you have a lot of different influences and experiences, and totally. just between the releases we discussed in 16 and 17, like you have showcased quite a lot of genre and style diversity throughout your music. So if I were to ask you to create your super group and I'm not saying put Jimi Hendrix with Neil Peart and Mm. make your super group that you're a fan of. I'm saying you get to collaborate with three or four musicians of your choice any musician that you know, famous, alive, dead, anything. Alive or dead. Oh, man, you had to make it that hard. Damn. Okay. Who is in your band? <laughs> and I might ask you to name it. Okay. All right. <laughs> Let me see what I can do here. I'm going to put all of the heavy hitters in there. I'm going to keep tasting this beer. JD, you got a little more in there? That's a tiny, tiny bit more yeah. going on? Yeah. yeah. Don't pour it on the microphone. Yeah. It's going to happen eventually during this just, podcast. Just enough. Uh, a yeah. long reach, long arms. Long reach. There we yeah. go. JD decided to make a lot of fun of me today for my height, and wow. I didn't appreciate it. He I'm watched sorry. me That's... put a mug on the top of my windowsill and struggled to do so. Uh, a task that would have been very easy for him. Yeah, well, that was more fun to watch. But you did just use uh, your like... long arms to pour me that beer, which I appreciated. Yeah. So, so I redeemed myself. It's all forgiven. It is, it is yeah. forgiven. Yeah. You gotta I bought you a little out. time, Rob. Who's in your band? Yeah. All right. <laughs> Fair enough. Uh, uh, so, all right. Here's who's in my band. Sir Paul McCartney on the bass. My buddy Charles Burchell playing the drums. My buddy Rajesh Bandari playing tabla. Stevie Wonder on keys. Rasan Roland Kirk back from the dead playing multiple saxophones at the same time. Naturally. Myself singing lead vocals and playing violin. Bobby McFerrin putting together a small ensemble of choir singers to help back up on the vocal side of things. And, you know, if he puts together a small orchestra or whatever, I'm just going to leave that to him. Musical director is Fred Rogers, a.k.a. Mr. Rogers. 
And the band name is... The band name, obviously, is The Neighbors, because Mr. Rogers is MD, and we're all neighbors. Yeah. Love it. Cheers to that. Cheers to that, guys. Salud. Yeah, salud. Here's to The Neighbors. To the there neighbors. goes the neighborhood. Mm. <sighs> this is really a tasty beer. This is very, very good. 10.6% alcohol. <laughs> all right. Take a lift home. Um... <laughs> For sure. <laughs> well, we got some more beer to have uh, towards the end of this or after this. Anyway. Sounds good. Hey, everyone. We know it's a bit of a lengthy episode, but we couldn't resist asking Rob one last question. And we will follow his response with an improvised jam that Rob treated us to with his new pedal board setup. We hope you enjoy, and thank you for listening to Through the Draft Line. Within all of the influences and styles you've been able to be exposed to, Mm-hmm. What influences do you find you come back to most often when writing music? So you're you're writing constantly. Yeah. You have performed in Argentinian tango groups. You've yep. performed in bluegrass bands. Yep. Rock. Yep. Trad folk. Yep. Classical. Yeah. Dance. All these yep. things. So yep. when you think of all these influences, and you're sitting here writing your next track, what? Influences or styles do you find are most um, inspiring you, or mm-hmm. again, like the 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 pieces that you find yourself going back to most often that bleed through in your music? Sure, I think whatever I write, I want it to have multi level impact. I want it to hit on all the levels. So something that is immediately visceral, something that you feel right away, but I also want it to be something that you can sit down and listen to 10 times and still find little other nuanced bits that haven't occurred to you before. I also want to have something that might make you want to move your body, you know, something that you might want to dance. Maybe not always like in the club banger, you know, booty shaking stuff. Maybe it's like a a ballet kind of move, but something that your body has to react to something that hits the heart and the mind and the soul all at once. So music I come back to, my influences do that. Stevie Wonder, Jimi Hendrix, Nat King Cole, you know, um, Stuff Smith. Oh, <laughs> there's tons. I love stuff. There's tons. Okay. Yeah. So you got to check stuff. Double you stuff. Double stuff. Double stuff. <laughs> the double LP there's that never be, was There's going to be a, a stout called the double stuff with the, double stuff Oreos. Here. All right. If you could create your ideal Oreo, uh, coffee flavored, done. Coffee Oreos, <laughs> yeah, easy. Why has this happened? If you could create your ideal Oreo, what would it be? I mean, I, I love the double stuff. So I want like quadruple. <laughs> you like quadruple stuff. So, so do you? Uh, I think they've done unscrew the crackers. The yeah. the cookies? Do you so, unscrew so my, the cookies right, and so my process, take the cream and make four make mm, a four stack? Yeah. Mm. So my process is I usually even single or double, and screw the cookies. I usually like will like buy like lick off some of the middle, mm. eat one of the cookie ends, and then eat the other cookie end that mm. like the okay. naked cookie okay. at the end. See, wow. this is That's interesting because. Uh, Deconstructed. I need wow. to first shout out the peanut butter Oreos because peanut butter is so like, yeah. give me like, okay, I'm a vegetarian. I need, I need my protein. So right. like almond butters, peanut butters, if I can get that in any 
food item of mine. Okay. Let's do it. Are you? But maybe this is because I'm a recent transplant to New England. Mm. Shout out to uh, all of us here for doing <laughs> <True>. that. <laughs> Thanks, Boston. I think an Oreo that integrates some elements of a Snickerdoodle will be dope. Snickerdoodle. A little bit of maple flavor. Okay. So try to try to make me. Feel like I'm eating cinnamon toast crunch with this Oreo, Damn. and that's what I want it to be. And obviously, there's got to be some chocolate because it's like an Oreo. But like, that's delicious. There's there's got to be a way to make me feel like mm. I'm eating a big stack of French toast. French toast Oreos could be done. Yeah, it can happen. That could and be, like, guys, you can say it in one sentence like that, like a little short phrase. I was I was at work the other day and I saw I work at a WeWork and I saw like they usually leave a bunch of food yeah. out and there were green apple Jolly Rancher Pop Tarts. Wow. Put that all together in your head. It's a lot of brands and a green lot of apple, artificial things going into Jolly one box. Rancher. But it exists and clearly people Pop-tarts. want it. So yes. give me and French like toast Oreos. Contains and still zero vegetarian. apple. <laughs> no, of course not. No negative apple. They actually <laughs> They put apple in yeah. and then take it out. <laughs> yeah. Apple extract. Scientifically take it out. That's great. Well, um, on behalf of JD and I, Rob, we want to say thank you for joining us yeah, and chatting with so us. Much. This has been uh, so inspirational. And I think that, you know, for us, JD and I, like, is still continuously navigating and trying to understand this New England music scene and also yeah. obviously always trying new craft beers. Um, it's it's an honor to to speak with you because you're you're just such a talented forward thinking musician that I think is changing um, the the landscape of of how we approach music and creativity. Right on, thank and you. So that's you very know, kind of you to say. We yeah. we really wanted you to be here and, and we're grateful for you. So cheers to that. I'll drink to that. Thanks for having me. Hey. Opa. 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 I'm sad that this is almost gone. Cheers, friends. We'll see you next time.
Fuck yeah. Broad fucking flax. Our theme song is by Tim Hall, and our logo is designed by Heidi Geist. Audio production and all other musical compositions are by myself, Matt Brooks. We will be back next week to present our interview with a talented duet that call themselves The Blue.